You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Research performed by anesthesiologists over the past 15 years has improved their ability to make decisions to use a specific anesthetic technique to any given patient. This has resulted in a decrease of the anesthetic mortality rate from 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 250,000. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and with me today is Dr. Yasser Wafai, an attending anesthesiologist at Condell Medical Center and former assistant clinical professor at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center and the University of Illinois at Chicago. Today, we are discussing current concepts in anesthesia, specifically general anesthesia. Welcome, Dr. Wafai. Hello, Dr. Hill. Could you define general anesthesia? General anesthesia is the state that you are hypnotic and or under hypnosis, paralyzed, and cannot feel any pain, secondary to stimulation via a painful or non-painful stimuli. Is this the most common type of anesthesia? It still is the most common type of anesthesia, although... The other type of anesthesia are gaining ground. Patients will always ask, does general anesthesia mean I get a tube in my throat? For the majority of cases, yes. Although there is a lot of other modalities to perform general anesthesia other than endotracheal intubations. Now, we all know that endotracheal intubations protect the airway. If someone is having general anesthesia, how can you have an airway that is not protected? There is nothing called protected or not protected. You have to administer your general anesthesia in a safe way. And the safe way is always to protect the airway. So whether is it endotracheal intubation or supraglottic device or even a mask, the airway should be protected, and meaning the airway should be protected, meaning that the patient can breathe and can exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide without any obstruction. Does a general anesthetic always mean that the patient is paralyzed? No. The patient can breathe on his or her own, even though the patient under general anesthesia. When do you decide whether to use a mask, a laryngeal airway, or endotracheal intubation? The decision depends on multiple issues or multiple factors. One of the factors is, is the patient have a difficult airway to manage? Is the patient has asthma? Is the patient has a full stomach? Is the patient uh, pregnant? Is the patient coming for emergency surgery versus elective surgery? And uh, all those factors will will be taken into consideration when you want to decide to put an endotracheal tube for the patient or use a mask versus laryngeal mask airway. How do you monitor a patient under general anesthesia? In your introduction, you mentioned that anesthesia become safer and safer, and the the incidence of morbidity and mortality dropped tremendously. And the number one factor for that is the monitoring. Monitoring of anesthesia exceeded all expectation in the last 10 to 15 years. 
we uh, we have monitors for the oxygen in the blood, monitor for the blood pressure, monitor for the heart rate, monitors for the awareness called the BIS monitor, which is uh, now it is a standard in a lot of hospitals. It is not the standard of care, but it is used in a lot of hospitals, including community hospitals. We have it in our community hospital. Now, what you, you are referring to is the fact that sometimes you've heard uh, on television programs and the newspaper patients that wake up during their procedure, but they're paralyzed and they can't let anyone know that they are awake. Is this the type of monitoring you're referring to? That's correct. And how, how is that done? It is a type of EEG measurement that it measures the awareness of the patients. And there is some computer calculation that gives you numbers relate to how deep is the patient, how deep meaning how deep asleep is the patient, or how light is the anesthetics. So depending on that, you can tighter your anesthetic accordingly by either giving more anesthesia or giving less anesthesia depending on those numbers. Generally speaking, in this day and age, would one consider general anesthesia to be risky or is it a very low risk? It is a very low risk, although the risks are there. What patients would you absolutely not do general anesthesia on? I cannot use the word absolutely not. There is a better choice of anesthetics over general anesthesia in certain patients that I will recommend regional anesthesia, field blocks, patient who has a very narrow range of compensations, meaning the patient who is severely ill, who has a severe myocardial disease, who has severe pulmonary dysfunction, who has severe neurological deficit, I would like to use less as minimal anesthetics as possible. And I would like to shy away from general anesthesia, which is alter all those, all the above, the lung functions, it alters the cardiac functions, and it alters the neurological functions. So I will shy away from general anesthesia, and I will go to a spinal. That doesn't mean that it's contraindicated to use general anesthesia, but there is always a better choice, and I will choose that. If you have just joined us, you are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and we are speaking with Dr. Yasser Wafai, anesthesiologist and assistant clinical professor at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center and the University of Illinois at Chicago. We are talking about current concepts in anesthesia, specifically general anesthesia. Dr. Wafai, if a patient has a choice between general anesthesia or a regional anesthetic or even a type of local anesthetic and they're perfectly healthy, what would you advise them or how would you advise them to choose the right type? First of all, there is two types of patients. Patients who read about anesthesia and uh, investigated the the, the anesthesia before they go to their surgery. So they read about general anesthesia, they read about spinal anesthesia, they read about the risks and benefit of each of them, 
and then they make their decision accordingly. Other patients, they make their decisions through when they, they talk to their friends, their members of their families, that they have experienced general anesthesia or local anesthesia, and they were, or, or spinal anesthesia or regional anesthesia, and they were very satisfied with that kind, and they come to you and tell you, I want that type of anesthesia versus the others. Now, my duty is to explain to the best of my ability the type of anesthesia that the patient can have. And if the patient is healthy, absolutely he can have general anesthesia or he can have a regional anesthesia. For instance, a nasal septal defect that it needs to be repaired. You cannot do spinal anesthesia for surgery on the face because you have to go so high that it is not doable. Can you do laparoscopy without having to do general anesthesia? Absolutely you can. It has been done under epidural anesthesia and it has been done under spinal anesthesia. And I like the epidural over the spinal because the anesthesiologist has the control of the level of anesthetics. What do you do if a patient had a full meal and then develops an intra-abdominal catastrophe in acute abdomen and you have to put them to sleep? How do you manage that? Number one, those patients has to be managed starting in the emergency room, meaning a nasogastric tube should be put in and should be put to suction so you can empty the stomach to the best of your ability. Number two, the patient should have a good working IV, intravenous line. Number three, you have to do a rapid sequence, sequence induction of anesthetic and cricoid pressure. Rapid sequence induction is the induction of anesthesia that you give the induction agents followed immediately by the paralytic agent, which is most likely succinylcholine, and then another anesthesiologist or helper doing the cricoid pressure when they put a pressure over the cricoid cartilage so they obstruct the passage of uh, fluid and food from the stomach to the oropharynx. After you give the induction agent and the paralytic agents, you insert the endotracheal tube into the trachea uh, while the nasogastric tube on suction. Finally, we always hear from patients that they don't want any nausea and vomiting after general anesthesia. Is that common with the new general anesthetic? This is still, at this day and age, is the dilemma of anesthesia. Although most of the anesthetics are much better than the old anesthetics in causing nausea and vomiting, but just the stress of surgery, the stress of anesthesia, and the uh, medication that we use, it causes a side effect of nausea and vomiting. Two things. One, the medication that we use for induction, maintenance, and emergence from anesthesia are less and less causing nausea and vomiting. Number two, which is very important also, is we're tackling this problem much more aggressively in giving anti-emetic medications from medication that is facilitate emptying the stomach to medication that inhibit in the central nervous system the nausea and vomiting centers. 
Have you found in the years that you've been giving anesthesia that it is less of a problem than it has, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Yes, absolutely. It is less of a problem, but it is still, I mentioned that it's a dilemma, and the reason why there is a, a push to have the patient awake, ready to go as soon as possible, meaning in half an hour, hour, two hours, so he can go back home or she can go back home. And most of the time, the only limiting factor is the feeling of nausea and vomiting prevent the patient from being discharged. I want to thank Dr. Yasser Wafai, who has been our guest. We have been discussing current concepts in anesthesia, specifically general anesthesia. I am Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.